Welcome to the New Hope 365 podcast. We are currently offering two in-person services each Sunday. We have a 9 a.m. worship service as well as a 10.30 a.m. family service for parents and children to attend together. We are also live streaming our 9 a.m. service on our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, and on our website. We'd love to have you join us however you feel most comfortable, whether in person or online. And now, here is today's message. We're in this series uh, called Knowing You, um, and uh, it's all about identity. It, to me, is, it is one of the biggest things that we, the church, could deal with. It really is. It's one of the biggest things that if we can get this, the things that follow will be kingdom-minded, will be God-honoring. It will, it's, so, so this is not something that we take lightly and go, oh, it's just a series. No, this is birthed from the heart of God of identity. And so you don't often think of yourself as a saint, do you? Maybe some of you do go, oh yeah, you know, I'm a saint or whatever. But we don't think of that. We think of, when we think of the word saints, we think of maybe the apostles or some type of philanthropist and, and, and all of that. But the reality is, is that our Heavenly Father looks at us and sees something that we don't see. And so, that's what we're going to hit today. But I have the question I asked, and I've asked this for the last few weeks is, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? So, what I've taught on is that you are an image bearer of God. That literally you look in the mirror and when you see yourself in the mirror, you see someone that was created in the image of God and you are an image bearer. And when you go out into culture and when you talk to people, what is it? They're going to see God's image through you and it is important that we live that out to culture. And then... How do we, how do we uh, image God? I talked about our head. I talked about our, our heart. I talked about our hands. Our head, through understanding Scripture, being able to share words of wisdom, which we can use a lot of today in this world, and the, the heart, the emotions that come forth, and, and things that may bother us because it bothers the heart of God, and how we can act upon that through within our hands. A cup of water, helping neighbors, helping community, doing things... Um, uh, around the globe is ways we image God in our communities, in our home, and, uh, and beyond that. So then, last week, we started into talk about Ephesians. And Ephesians is a practical journey to what? One thing. Who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ. Say that, say that with me. In Christ. In Christ. If you are a new creation, if you have given your life to Jesus, you are in Christ. And this is big, and this is so big that the Apostle Paul wrote a ton about it, and specifically in this book called Ephesians. And so, either identity is in Christ or your identity is in idolatry. That's it. There's no, there's, it's not like, well, we got all this kind of margin in there. No, you're either in Christ or you're in idolatry. And and so, here we go. I'm going to use an illustration uh, from the past about a gal named Jennifer. And, and uh, Jennifer describes her past in a series of negative events. She identifies herself as someone that changed her, her personality, identity changed like hats. She was a rebel in her teenage years. And so people tended to see her that way. And so she thought, okay, because people see me as a rebel, that's going to be my identity. She moved from rebel to addict, and she became a heroin addict. And then she met a man, you know, it's kind of like 
likeness attracts, you know, meets, meets a man who then is a heroin addict, and, and uh, he was abusive, and for 12 years, Jennifer lived in this shame and fear, looking for the next high, the next chemical hit, and while taking physical hits from her boyfriend, and she placed the blame of her ruined life on his drug, ab- on his drug addiction, his choices, and ultimately her identity of being a victim. She saw herself as a victim of those circumstances. And then the unthinkable happened. Child Protective Services come in, as they often do in situations like this, and they took away her two children to protect them from the domestic violence that, is, that was occurring. And, and so that really compelled her to begin recovery, and she left the abusive relationship and got her life together and was clean for several years, and eventually she got a degree, which is incredible. But something was still wrong inside this Jennifer. She still identified herself as an addict. The sense of shame then came from her identifying as an addict and the damage that it caused her life. And ultimately, all of that addiction and all of that led her to church, to God, to Jesus. And uh, she met Jesus for the first time and began a process of healing and became involved in a community group. And what she learned was that she was a child of God. She was his daughter. He loves her. And Jesus had already died for her sins. She said, I needed to drop the addict off my name. I needed that to go away. And she says, I'm so much more now without that negative title. I'm no longer held in bondage by that identity. And today... This Jennifer's life is dramatically different. She placed her identity in Christ. Her life would honestly be unrecognizable. She now works with um, adolescents in, in the foster system, the young children. And she no longer numbs herself with drugs. And she's blessed with a husband. She went on to have five more kids. Okay? So she, she uh, again, is helping, watching transformation in her community, all of those things. And as you think about Jennifer's life, you might call her a saint because of her volunteer work with abused and neglected foster kids. Think about that. The truth is that Jennifer is a saint, but not because of what she does. Okay? She is a saint because of what Christ has done for her. For her. This is big. And for those of you listening, this is big. And like Jennifer, we are also saints in Christ. We are saints in Christ. Okay, I'm going to have you do something. For some of you, this is going to just, just say, I'm a saint. saint. Oh, man, that sounds good, right? I'm a saint. It sounds so good to, to say something like that, but a lot of us don't believe that. In fact, a lot of us would like me to just, come on, bring the word, pastor, bring it out, tear me down, break me up, build me, you know, whatever. Just bring it. And that's the way you live your life. But that's not the way God sees you. He sees you very differently than breaking, just breaking you down and holding you down and eventually you'll get it. But no. Okay, so the Apostle Paul, let's talk about that. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. If you have your Bibles, whether it's your, on your app or whatever, and you can also go to the Bible app and you can click on week 3 and follow along with me in your notes on the YouVersion Bible app. Okay, so saint or sinner, Paul, he says in Ephesians 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who, let's back up, to the what? 
saints who are at Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So there, Paul refers to everyone in Ephesus as saints in Christ Jesus. Everyone, I mean, really? I mean, aren't there like drunks and jerks and sexual perverts? And aren't there uh, self-righteous, you know, religious people in the church? I mean, these, these, aren't these people at Ephesus, you know, come on. Ephesus, maybe they just had it all together. Not at all. And you go, well, wait, I come to church and I see everybody's flaws or I know about their issues, I know about their stuff. I mean, what, what, what do we do with that? I mean, come on. Paul's letter had, you know, some of these same kinds of people, bad, awful, terrible, no good, very bad. Yet, regarding their identity in ours, Paul says that if we are in Christ, which is simply a way of saying we are true Christians, then you're saints. You are saints. So, Okay, when we think about saints, let me just take you on a little bit of a journey. Let's do, let's do the Catholic edition. When you think of the word saint, who do you think of? I'm asking now. Online, type it in in the chat room. When you think of the, uh, the term saint, uh, who do you think of? Christopher. Paul? Christopher. Yeah, yeah, Catholic edition. Saint Steve. So, so who else? Mother Teresa. That would be a class. Mother Teresa. Who else? Augustine, see, yeah, Saint Augustine. Yep. Anybody else? Francis. Yes, Saint Francis. Yeah. And 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 what? When you think of those, when you think of those saints, what are the attributes of those saints? Saintliness. What else? What are the attributes? Gave themselves to others. Served. Yeah. Anything else? What? St. John, brother of Jesus, yeah. And what are the attributes of St. John, the brother of Jesus? Okay. Well, you ponder that for a little bit. And so, the history of sainthood is curious. So let me give you a little background. The first Catholics um, revered as saints were martyrs who died under the Roman persecution in the first centuries after Jesus Christ was born. These martyrs were honored as saints almost instantaneously after their deaths as Catholics who had sacrificed their lives in the name of God. Over the next few centuries, however, sainthood was extended to those who had defended the faith and led pious lives. With the criteria for canonization not as strict, the number of saints soared by the 6th and 7th centuries and bishops stepped in to oversee the process, and around 1200, Pope Alexander III outraged over the proliferation of, of all of these like saints, decreed that only the Pope had the power to determine who could be identified as a saint. It was not until then the 17th century that the Vatican standards for sainthood was formalized. Okay? Father James Martin summarizes these 10 steps, and I thought these were fascinating. Okay? Here we go. Ten very complicated process of sainthood from the Catholic Church. Now, if you're Catholic online or you're here, I'm not bashing the Catholics. I'm just telling you about their process. Okay, if you want to become a saint in the Catholic Church, one, you need to be Catholic. Two, you need to die. Three, a local devotion grows around your memory. Four, your life is investigated. Five, your local bishop sends your case to the Vatican. Six, you pray for a miracle. 
Seven, the Vatican invests a miraculous cure. Eight, the Vatican declares you blessed. Nine, pray for another miracle. Ten, if it all happens, you are a saint. (laughs) And if you make it through these not-so-easy steps that can cost upwards of millions of dollars to become a saint in your death, now what happens is that people will celebrate you with a feast day and they'll, they'll maybe put up a statue of you or whatever. They'll maybe put your picture up on the wall or something like that. But if for a moment you think that you're going to have peace in eternity, what's going to happen is they're going to be pay, praying to you as the patron saint and asking for your intercession for the rest of eternity. You'll be interceding for those people that marked you as saint. Thanks. Got some work in heaven. Yes, is there a little bit of, a little bit of uh, me just having fun with that? You'll be busy until the end of time if you become a saint. Okay. What does the Bible have to say? How to become a saint Bible edition. So the Apostle Paul didn't think of saints that way. He thought of normal, average, ordinary, flawed people like us in this room online. And, uh, and like Jennifer um, and those in Corinth who were, you know, for example, abusing spirit-empowered gifts. They were getting drunk on communion wine. <laughs> they were entangled in sexual sin. And Paul calls these men and women saints. And Paul, for Paul, sainthood was not a result of something, this wonderful, accomplished thing, or, nor erased by something horrible, you know, you had done and, and, and all of a sudden this good thing overrides this bad thing. According to him, being a saint requires one step. Being in Christ. Being in Christ. And the total cost to you is zero. Zilch. Nada. Anyone who is connected to Jesus by faith in his death and resurrection, is a saint. And God's saints are average people and sinful people who love Jesus. Okay? So, by virtue of being in Christ, you're no longer an Adam. And, and by virtue of being in Christ, your past, your present, and future sin is taken away. Do you believe that? Do you get that? Your past, your present, and your future sins are taken away away through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in exchange exchange for his perfection, holiness, and righteousness. Now, this almost sounds too easy, doesn't it? For some of us, we're going, this just can't be. And for some of us, because we've lived with other stinking thinking for so long, right now I'm butting up, the word of God is going to butt up against your mentality. But the thing is, is when you are in Christ, everything begins to change. Your mind becomes renewed. And all of a sudden, you begin to see different, think differently, work differently. And when we do, you will understand that the things that you do and the things that you say, God has already forgiven you in advance through Jesus Christ. And that changes the way you should live and engage culture. And I'm telling you, it will rock the world of your family, of your business partners, of the community, of the world that you engage. And so, what are then, what are the attributes of a saint? Attributes of a saint? Well, a saint is sinful. Hmm. But that wasn't always the case. In Genesis 131, it says that man was created how? 
sinless. Man was created from the beginning, sinless. And Genesis 1.31 says, Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. Okay? And Ecclesiastes 7.29, I'm blitzing through these. God made man upright. Then what happened? We know the story. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know the story. And in Ecclesiastes 7.29, it says this. But I did find this. God created people to be virtuous, and they have each turned to follow their own downward path. For now, what's, what is it? There is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know? For the wages of sin is what? Death. All of these things... Therefore, sin is fully our responsibility as what? Rebellious sinners. And it's not the fault of God, our creator. The effects of sin, the curse, were not originally part of the world God created for us in love. Though, we know, Adam and Eve, thank you for partaking of that tree and launching everything into sin. But is that the end of the story? Are we just dirty, vile, rotten sinners? Is that the sum total of your identity? Which I've met Christians that go, that's my identity. And I'm going, I don't think that's your identity. Rotten, vile, stinky sinners. No. In this life, even as Christians, the bad news is, is that we are still sinners. But the good news is that you are not only sinners. We are also share in being image bearers of God with all men and women. So Genesis 5, 1 and 2 says this. This is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them to be what? Like himself. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and called them human. Okay? So we are cracked, dirty, dull mirrors, but mirrors nonetheless. And if we are in Christ, we are redeemed saints. So, so many Christians that I have met, even out in, even in this last week, people that I've talked to that would say they're Christian, they, that are image bearers of God, they believe that they're just sinners. And what is the truth? Truth about uh, what is what it is, it is, is that sin has affected all of us. All of us, as I was pondering this, that yes, we, we have uh, you know, been depraved and have been fallen sinners and have all of these issues. Yeah, and while, now think about this. A non-Christian, a non-Christian is somebody that would be what would, Scripture would say is totally depraved. But a Christian is in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we weren't totally depraved. Don't get me wrong. It's not like we're going, we're here and you are here. That's not how God is looking at us. But a non-Christian would be in total depravity. And practically then, focusing on just the sin of our identity leads to what? Despair. I don't know if you've ever gotten up in the morning and go, oof, my sin. I mean, I'm, I mean, I am just, and we despair and we become obsessed with our sin and and I think Christians wrongly think that that's it for them. I think it's wrong for Christians to simply have their identity as a sinner, nothing more, nothing less, living as people in miserable days, just kind of hanging out going, oh man, I hope, just waiting for heaven. Finally the bus will come and get me and I'll be perfect and finally perfect and, and all that. When we are created as image bearers, we're fallen sinners. And if we're in Christ, you're redeemed. Okay, 
made new, given a new identity. Do you believe that if you are in Christ, you have a new identity? You do. Now, some of us need to wipe the mirror off a little bit. It's gotten a little foggy. You've been wrestling with that for some time. You've been a Christian for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, 50, however long you've been a Christian. And you need to just start cleaning the mirror and looking and seeing what God has done in and through you. So a saint does sin, 1 John 1, 8, a saint does sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. It's like, it's like going and knocking somebody on the head and dunk, I didn't do that. I did, I, I did. And you'd you be, you be deceiving yourself to think that you're not sinful. No, you, there are repercussions, in our, in repercussions of living in culture when we do sin. It's not like we bury our head in the sand, but as Christians. But a Christian is one who, is a, who has saint as their constant identity and sinner as an occasional activity. Christian is one who has saint as their constant identity and sinner as their occasional activity. For the Christian, there is a difference between what? Having sin and being in sin. This is big. This is big kingdom. This is big, big stuff that you have to think through even as you share your faith with others. This explains why the Bible rarely, if ever, describes a Christian as opposed to a non-Christian as a sinner. Depending on which Bible translation you read, and I read all different versions and translations, you will hear of non-Christians referred to as sinners more than 300 times in Scripture. But only on three occasions do you find a Christian referred to as a sinner. Though in each instance, it may actually refer to non-Christians. So rather than sinners, the Bible overwhelmingly calls you saints. He, he doesn't say, well, there's a Christian and a non-Christian. No, he says there's sinners and there are those that are in Christ. Do you get that? There's sinners. So this is not Jason, just me coming out and going, here's what I believe. This is actual text of scripture, laying it out for us to refer to, to non-Christians. So rather than sinners, the Bible overwhelmingly calls us saints, holy or righteous, more than 200 times. If I said something 200 times to you, do you think it'd be important right now? You'd probably be going, good Lord, why would he do that? Because it's a big deal. And so scripture, 200 times, our primary identity, then through biblically, biblically speaking, our primary identity of a believer in Christ is not as a sinner, but as a saint. While we still struggle with sin in this life, as Christians, our identity is not found in our sin, but in Christ's righteousness. Your identity is found in Christ's righteousness. So, since a saint can act as a sinner, it's important for us to know how, how we should relate then, I think, to our sin. How do you relate to your sin? Because who here is sinless? Who online is sinless? We all have sin. But we're saints? So, what is a saint? I think a saint, in my understanding, is remorseful. Everyone has regrets and feels remorse And I like what the great British preacher Charles Spurgeon said. Few men would dare to read their own autobiography if all their deeds were recorded in it. Few can look back upon their entire career without a blush. 
as saints mature in relationship with Jesus, what we're to do is we're to see sin more clearly and grieve it more, what? Deeply. That if I sin against you, if I do something to harm or hurt or lie or steal or do whatever, prideful things, whatever, that I grieve that. I, I actually wrestle this down. And Paul himself as a mature Christian demonstrated this. And looking back at his life, in comparison to the perfect life of Jesus, he says, I'm a chief sinner. First Timothy 1.15 says this, This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came in the world to save who? Sinners. He goes, and I am the worst of them all. John 16, 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world of what? When Jesus comes back? What? Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, all of those things, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. John 8.44. This is, <laughs> this is what is taking place in spiritual realms. For you are children of your father, the devil. This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and the, the rulers of the law. And you, you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So if you're wondering today, you're going, me, a saint? How could I live righteously? How could I actually be good? How is this going to work out? Understand that you are under, you've been under in the world, under the assault of your enemy, the devil, who has wanted to lie to you and tell you something other than you are. And he wants to go, well, you did this in your marriage. Well, you did this in the workplace. Well, you did this in the community. This is what you did. And therefore, because you did this, this is your lot. Stamp. And then we have people walking around totally lied to by the enemy. And this is a wake-up call for us to hear and understand that he is the liar. He is not only a liar, he created lies. And then Revelation 12, 10, then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God. This is a great day. And the authority of his Christ for the accuser. Who is the accuser of us? Accuses you. And would love to accuse you every day of your life. Accuser of the brethren, of the brothers and sisters, has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. So here is, here's what I have understood about conviction and condemnation, the, the, the difference between them, okay? Conviction. Let's put those up there. Conviction versus condemnation. This is identity stuff. This is stuff we need to walk in. Conviction is from God. Condemnation is from Satan. Conviction leads to life. Condemnation leads to despair. Are you living in life or are you in despair most of your days? Conviction ends in joy. Why? Because you begin to do what is right versus condemnation that ends in sorrow because even if you did right, the enemy is going to lie and tell you you did wrong. Keep going. Conviction makes us want to change. Condemnation makes us believe there's no hope. We can't change. Conviction leads to new identity in Christ. Condemnation leads to old identity in sin. Conviction leads to a new identity, brings specific awareness of sin. Okay? But then condemnation brings vague uncertainty about sin. Conviction 
looks to Jesus. Condemnation looks to self. Conviction is a blessing. And what? Condemnation is a burden. But this is a verse that you need to put on your dash. Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is now, therefore now no condemnation. To those who are what? It, what was the word? In Christ. In Christ Jesus, because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit, the power of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the power of sin that leads to death. So what is it? So what is it that is is as saints, we're remorseful. That that when we go, well, wait a second, we do sin, yes. But what happens is that when I sin, when I choose to lie, cheat, steal, do the stuff that is against you or you or you or whatever, secrecy. I actually don't want to live with that identity. I actually want to, in remorse, bring it out and go, God, for what you have done for me, I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. And God, I, I bring it to you. So a saint is remorseful. But here's the thing also. A saint is powerful. And this is, here's, here's this power that comes to us by the, by the Spirit of God. Hebrews 4, verses 15 through 16 says this. Okay? The high priest of ours understands our weakness. Hey, saint. The high priest understands our weakness for he has faced all the same testings. Who is that? Jesus. And, and, and yet, he did not sin. So let us come where? Boldly. Boldly. Oh, let us come. Don't kill me. Please don't nuke me. Please don't hurt me. No. Come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. I don't know what boldly looks like to you, but boldly to me is being able to get in somebody's face and, and tell them something. And not being afraid of the outcome of what you're going to say to them. To me, boldly is something that is very, is, is way other, you know, it's, it, the opposite is the cowardice. And we're not cowering. We're coming boldly to the throne of grace. And there we will receive his mercy and will find grace to help us when we need it most or other in our time of need. So, Ephesians 1 verse 3. I love this. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are in Christ. You sin and temptation, those things, as you are in Christ and you are identified as a saint, you have this power to, you have this ability because of the Spirit of God in you to overcome the sin that entices you. Do you know you don't have to live perpetually in sin? You don't, perpet- you don't have to continually go down the roads and do the things and make the d- decisions over and over again. In fact, if you take and confess your sins, he's faithful and just to do what? Forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So sin and temptation are two different things entirely to Jesus. So what is the difference between temptation and sin? Online, what is the difference? Quick question. Anybody? Difference between a temptation and a sin. 
sin is acting. This is, based, this, this is, this is a temptation. But oftentimes what we do is because we, we think something or we, yeah, something pops into our brain, we go, oh, that must be who I am. It's not true. It's not your identity. Your identity is in Christ. Your identity is a saint in Christ Jesus. You're not categorized by those 300 times in Scripture where it talks about that you are a sinner. You are now in Christ. And therefore, when, when these temptations come, understand that you're a saint. And in fact, I think it's okay to say out loud, Heavenly Father, I'm a saint because of Christ. Knowing your identity in Christ is the key to victory. And Jesus models that for us. In fact, I love this in Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. And this is a way, this is, this is the way our Heavenly Father sees you. One day, when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was being baptized. We know he went down in the waters of the Jordan, and he was, as he was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descends on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved Son, and you bring me great joy. Jesus, if God saw Jesus in the waters of baptism, this is my beloved son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. And in Christ, you're connected. Have you ever thought of your heavenly father going in Christ? He says, this is my daughter, this is my son, whom I love. In you I am well pleased. Because you are in Christ Jesus. Now, if that doesn't give you a reason to like two-step and clog or do whatever, river dance, then I don't know what will. Seriously. I love, I love this. I love what theologians say. The imperatives of the Bible, what you should do, flow out of the indicatives, who you are. We say no to sin because we are holy in Christ. We endure the criticism of those who hate us because God loves us in Christ. We endure ostracism from others because God's, God welcomes us in Christ. We are not what we do. We do what we are. Our identity determines our activity. This was true of Jesus, and it's true for those who are in Christ. Our identity as new creations in Christ is the key to our victory like Christ. Man, those are big words. All right. I know I need to, need to wrap this up and so forth. A, a saint, though, then the last thing. So we understand that, that there's this remorse that we have as a saint and, and, and we don't live in our sin. We don't want to perpetually live in our sin. We have power by the power of the Spirit working in us and what Christ did in the cross. We have power. The, the sin and the things and the temptations that come our way, we don't have to act upon that. And now we're saying, okay, there's, there's a humility here, okay? There's a humility that takes place. And, and now, let me give you a little bit of, of, of theology on the fourfold salvation process. Now, don't get wrong. I'm not going to preach four points here. But regeneration. If you are in Christ, you are regenerated. What? Your new life. You brings new thoughts, brings new desires. You're regenerated. You get the idea of regeneration. The second then thought of this salvation process in us is justification. Declaring what? The unrighteous sinner is righteous saint because that's your position in Christ. So you go from what? You go from regeneration, justification, and then you go into the process of sanctification. Okay? Sanctification. In which 
This path is where you're working out your salvation. You are, you are through sanctification, we're saved from the power of sin. And, and it's, it's both a position that we are already in, set apart and sanctified, but a process that we are in, which increasingly becomes us, what? More and more like Jesus. So my question to you is, are you becoming more and more like Jesus? Are you in what you watch, what you listen to, what you possess, the way you engage people, is it more Christ-like today than it was yesterday or the week before or the year before? See, sanctification works these things out. It's a process, and we become more like Jesus as the Holy Spirit what cleanses us, and we grow in relationship. And then the, the, the whole salvation process comes to an end, and the sanctification is, sanctification is completed through glorification when we are saved from the presence of sin in heaven. The sinless perfection that culminates in the resurrection from death to live with Jesus to be with him forever. Okay, but what have I experienced? I'm going to wrap it up here. What have I experienced is that when we, but if we call ourselves saints and if we live lives that are upright and righteous and if we say we're in Christ, we become puffed up. And we walk around and we're like, I'm just saying, if I was raised Baptist, I don't know what you, you know what you were raised, but if, Baptist, we were like, we were the church. We were the others. And everybody else was the sinners, and they knew that they were the sinners because we made sure that we told them that they were the sinners. So we walk around, you know, like just just kicking it out there, going, Yeah, yeah, got this figured out. But the thing is, when you're in Christ, what happens? First Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, is not rude, does not boast, does not seek its own, is not puffed up, doesn't walk around and go, whoo, look at me. The humility of a saint is something that comes from our Heavenly Father. And pride is our enemy and humility is our ally. And pride compares us to, to other sinners, but humility compares us to a sinless Savior. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to stop. Would you say this aloud with me one more time? I'm a saint. I'm a saint. <sighs> Bow your head and close your eyes. We walk in humility because of what Christ has done for us. We walk in humility because we know that we have sinned and fallen short. And that's ever before us. We get it. But we also, we don't have to walk around with our heads down anymore because we know what Christ did for us. So what is your identity? If you're a follower of Jesus, it's in Christ. If not, today I encourage you to give your life to Jesus. If you confess with your mouth, if you confess with your heart that Jesus is Lord, and that God raised Jesus from the dead and that he is alive and that he can become your savior, the word of God says, you will be saved. So Lord Jesus, I pray over this church and I pray over those online that we will experience this life not walking around going, I'm a saint and all that and because the world doesn't fully understand what that really means. They have an idea, but, but, but we're walking around knowing that our identity is one not Huh, condemned, 
but one that is forgiven. One that is in you, Jesus. One whom, when we get up in the morning, you are pleased with us. And that, God, we would continue to have remorse over our sin, that we would walk in power over that, God, because of your Holy Spirit in us, and that we would walk humbly with you, God. Walk humbly. So over your church today, transform those that God need transforming. Pour out your spirit, God, where we need your spirit to be working in a powerful way. Have your way. Have your way, Spirit of God. Sweep through New Hope 365. Sweep through, God, our communities. God, sweep through, sweep through our state. And God, ripple throughout the United States and around the globe. Oh, God, awaken us as your church. Awaken us. And Lord Jesus, if there's anybody today that doesn't know you, I pray that they will encounter you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. And Lord Jesus like the song that was put on my heart like a couple weeks ago that I used to sing and we used to go down to the altar and and we would kneel down and we would sing the song, I Surrender All. All to Jesus, I Surrender. Lord, over my life and over the lives of those listening and those in this room, I pray that we will surrender all today. That whatever's holding us back to walk in the identity of you, Jesus, whatever's holding us back in the spiritual realm, God, release it. Release it, God. Break chains, remove barriers, release it. The surrender, oh God, that the church must embark on, oh God, for you to, to, to pour out your spirit the way you desire to. Break the strongholds. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for loving us. And I look forward to this week ahead. I look forward to testimonies of people walking in newness and hope and joy. Help us, Lord Jesus. In your awesome and mighty and limitless name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd like to invite you to join us on our YouTube channel Friday mornings at 10 a.m. for The Truthcast, a weekly podcast from Pastor Jason. We'd also like to invite you to download the brand new New Hope 365 app where you can access media, give, and keep up with everything happening here at New Hope 365.